Right, so today it's been amazing in worship. We've kind of basically sung this preach already today. It's all about the love of God. This is the fourth Sunday in Advent. So, so far we've looked at hope, we've looked at waiting, we've looked at joy. And the, first, the fourth Sunday is all about love. And what we're going to do today is we're going to look at one of probably the, one of the best known verses in the Bible. And uh, that is John 3.16. That's what, where we're going to be. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to that. If not, it's going to come on screen. And we've been singing, haven't we, about how Jesus changes everything. And, uh, you know, this verse just summarizes that, the difference that Jesus made. So John 3, verse 16 to 19. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were So we we start with verse 16, which I guess is familiar with a lot of people, if not the following verses. And Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, who's a religious leader. And Nicodemus came to him in the middle of the night because he recognized that Jesus was more than just a good teacher. And he said, no one can perform the miracles that you do, Jesus, unless they came from God. And so this dialogue happens between Jesus and Nicodemus, and Jesus is really challenging Nicodemus's perceptions of what it means to be right before God. And there's a whole dialogue that leads up to this. And then he says to him, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And just because Nicodemus was a religious man, a knowledgeable man, he knew the scriptures, it didn't mean that he'd fully grasped who God was. And I just want to ask you a question. When you think about God, how do you picture him? And most importantly, does the God that you believe in, the God that you carry around in your head, in your mind, does that God line up with the God that we find in the Bible? Does that God line up with a biblical view of God? Because it's so easy for us to kind of superimpose our own ideas, our own thoughts, our own experiences of different people and uh, things that we've gone through. It's so easy for us to superimpose those onto God and allow that to shape how we view God. And at 1 John 4 verse 8, there's a lot of verses in this preach, but 1 John 4 verse 8, it says, Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And I just want us to focus on those last few verses there. Because God is love. God is love. When I was growing up, there used to be these little cartoons, Love Is... Anyone as old as me, and remember those little cartoons, love is, and they used to fill it in. And here, the Bible is telling us God 
is love. That's who God is. He's a God who loves. And love isn't just a characteristic of God. It says God is love. It's not just what he does, but who he is. It's his identity. God doesn't just love us some of the time. God doesn't just love us when we're good. But God loves us because God is love. And that might be a hard thing to kind of get our heads around, but before anything else existed, long before we were created, there was a loving community, and still is a loving community, in the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And each member of the Trinity, in perfect relationship with one another, enjoying one another, loving one another because God is love. And in this perfect relationship, expressing love within themselves. And back to verse 16, that you know that it's it's a short verse, isn't it? But there's so much truth in it. It says God so loved the world. Not just the amount that God loved, but how God loved. God loves by giving. God so loved the world that he gave. And uh, we can take the word sometimes, the word love, to describe how we feel about lots of things. You might say, I love ice cream. Or I love this television program. Or I love my new shoes. I love these things because of how they make us feel. And God's love isn't just a kind of nice expression, a a kind of, you know, everything is lovely kind of feeling, you know, oh, it's lovely, isn't it? Love, it's all fluffy and that sort of thing. God's love here is demonstrated, it's compelled to action because God loves, he's compelled to do something. And because God loves, God gave. He gave something so precious to himself Someone he loves so much. God gave his son. And not only did God give his son to be born a baby and then live on earth as a man, God gave his son to die. Think about giving up your child. Jesus to be humbled as a baby, but knowing that ultimately he's coming to earth to die. God's love is extravagant. God's love is sacrificial. It's generous, but it's also costly. And this verse doesn't just speak about God's love, but it talks about the recipients of love. Who is this love lavished on? It says, for God so loved the world. The love of God isn't just seen in in kind of the value of what he gives, but by looking at who he's giving to. God loves the world, humankind. That's you, that's me, that's everybody here, that's the people of Chichester, that's all of us. And like Anne was saying, you know, none of us are discounted from this. God loves people, people across the world. And even this would have been a revolutionary idea to Nicodemus because, you know, God was the God of the Jews. God loved Israel. 
They were the people that he favoured. But Jesus was emphasising God's love for all people, whatever their background. That whoever believes in him. And even that word, whoever, God's love is not limited. It's not just reserved for the religious or for those people that look like they've got their lives together. Regardless of how messy people's lives are, regardless of the mistakes, regardless of the past, regardless of the sinfulness, God gave his son for them, for the whoever. Romans 5 verse 7 and 8 says, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person somebody might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners... Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Jesus came. And while we're still sinners, Jesus died for us. And God didn't decide to do this. God didn't decide to do this because we were worthy of his love or because we'd done anything to earn his love. God loved us because he is love. We don't have a God who's waiting for us to please him or a God who's waiting for us to earn his approval or get his attention or or do something that's worthy of him taking notice of us. That's not the God we serve. We haven't got to try and get God's attention. We haven't got to try and please him and win favor with him. Um, Christianity is unique in that it's all about God. We're not trying to please him or, hey, God, I'm here and and I'm doing all these amazing things for you and I'm living this amazing life and maybe you'll just bless me. That the truth of Christmas, the truth of the gospel is God took the initiative. It's all God. It's God who reaches down to us. Not us striving to reach him, but God reaching down to us. We don't deserve his love. We haven't earned his love, and we don't have to have our act together before receiving his love. And it's the very fact that we are sinners and unable to do anything that makes ourselves right before God. It's the very fact that we're unworthy of his love that made God step in and take the initiative. And it said, For God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes in him. God's not a cosmic Father Christmas who comes to only those that have been good. There isn't a naughty and nice list with God. There's just one list. And it says sinner. And we're all on it. And yet God loved us so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him can receive his love and know eternal life. Believing in Jesus is so much more than just intellectual kind of awareness, you know. Well, maybe Jesus existed, maybe he didn't. You know, possibly he was born in Bethlehem and maybe he did die on a cross and maybe he was a good teacher. You know, believing in Jesus is a belief that says he is who he says he is, the Son of God. And because of this, I'm going to trust him. I'm going to rely on him. I'm going to worship him. God gave his love. It's a gift 
It's not earned. And why did he give his one and only son? That those who believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We are the recipients of God's love if we choose to believe in him, because his intention is to save us. We're separated from God because of our sin. But his intention is that we come into this knowledge of him and receive his love, a love that lasts forever. You know, the love of people, however great it is, fades. It can run out. We can be in favor one day and out of favor the next, but God's love doesn't change. It's not what he does, it's who he is. And God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And some of you will probably have heard my story. I became a Christian when I was 17. It was July the 3rd. I remember it very well. I was sitting in McDonald's. And um, it's my claim to fame. And if you'd have asked me before that day if I was a Christian, I'd have said, yeah, I'm a Christian. I believe in God. I I pray. I, I read my Bible. I go to church. But what changed that day was somebody sat down and explained the gospel. And for the first time, I kind of realized that I didn't have to do any of these things to impress God. I didn't have to try and get his attention. I didn't have to try and earn his favor. And I realized that whatever I did wasn't going to be enough, but it didn't have to be enough. Because Jesus stepped into the gap. I knew the Christmas story. I knew the Easter story. I knew that Jesus died on a cross. But I never really understood it until somebody explained it to me. You know, no matter how good we are, we fall short of the glory of God. But Jesus came. Jesus came to do the things that we couldn't do. And what I remember most is my thought process. And it all suddenly started making sense. But the one thing that struck me the most was God loves me that much. God loves me enough to send his son to die for me in my place and do the things that I can't do. And not only does God love me that much, there's a promise in his word that he wants Never leave me nor forsake me. And I remember just sitting there and I thinking, if this is true, if God loves me that much and God's love is that strong and God promises to love me and never leave me nor forsake me, then I want to grab hold of this with both hands. I want to know this God. I want to know what it is to be loved in that way. And that's when I responded to God. We're going to look at um, the other verses, verse 17 through to 19. So John 3, uh, verse 17 to 19. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. 
Jesus came to reveal the love of God, offering salvation, rescue from sin, hope, healing. You know, in John 10, verses 10 to 11, it says, The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. I have come that they might have life, and life to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his sheep, lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus didn't come to condemn, but to offer life by laying down his life for us. And I can offer you a gift, and it might be the most expensive, the most valuable, the most amazing gift in the world. But it's only your gift if you choose to come and accept it from me. You might take it, you might take the package, and you might put it in a cupboard and shut the door and then forget about it, and it's still wrapped and it's still there. But you haven't really accepted it. Because when you accept it, you take it and you open it and you receive it and you enjoy it. And the gift of life is available to those who choose to believe in Jesus. And yet, even at the beginning of John's Gospel, in John 1.11, he said, He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. The light has come into the world, but not everyone wants light. Some prefer to stay in darkness. You know, and as we kind of read it, we read John 3.16, because that's lovely, and it's great, isn't it? And then we get to verse 18, and we go, ooh, that sounds a bit harsh, doesn't it? Whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And I had a really good illustration about this. You know, imagine there was a doctor, and he had a cure for cancer. You know, that's good news, isn't it? And and better still, this cure was made available, and it was freely available for everyone. But not everyone chose to accept the cure. Because not everyone chose to accept the cure, no one then looked at the doctor and questioned his love, or his goodness, or his integrity. That wasn't in question. He offered it. He made it freely available. His intention was that everybody would receive it. He wanted everyone to have it. But everyone had a choice whether they received or rejected the gift that was on offer. And Jesus didn't come to condemn because he has the answer to sin. Jesus overcame sin and death through the cross. And we are not able to overcome sin by our own actions. But Jesus can, and he came to offer us the solution. And the solution is believing in him and trusting in him. And, uh, you know, as we think about God, and I asked you to picture, you know, what's the picture you have of God in your mind? And we need to make sure that we don't judge God's love by our standards. Because it's easy, isn't it, when we say, and we've all heard children say it, if you love me, then you will do this. Or if you love me, then you'll give me that. Which basically means, if you love me, you'll give me what I want. And we can do this with God as well. God, if you really love me, you'd give me this. And no loving parent gives their child everything they demand. And if your two-year-old asks for a box of matches, you don't give them a box of matches. Because you love them. 
You give them what's good for you. You give them what's going to benefit for them. Not just that, uh, for, in the long term and not just that immediate. 1 John 4 verses 9 to uh, 10, it says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And again, God's love is evident by his giving, the giving of his one and only son, that we might live. And Jesus wasn't coerced into this. God the Father loved Jesus before the foundations of the world. And and in Philippians, I've been kind of going through Philippians in Advent, and and I just love the the verses in Philippians 2 and describes how, how Jesus chose to use his divinity for our sake. And it says, Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, rather... He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, even the most horrendous, cruel, vile death. And it's just that picture and uh, Tim Chester describes it as Jesus living the glory, leaving the glories of heaven for us. In heaven, he was worshipped by angels. And on earth, he was rejected by humanity. In heaven, he was at home in God's glory. And on earth, he lay in a borrowed manger and grew up with no place to lay his head. In heaven, he was surrounded by angelic armies earth he was threatened and finally murdered what a picture of God's love Jesus left heaven where there is no sin to come to earth to be born into a world full of sin he lived in majesty but he chose to become a helpless baby he allowed himself to experience the consequences of living in a fallen world the same way we do, being misunderstood, being rejected, experiencing loss and grief as well as temptations. Why? If you have heaven and you have all the glories and perfection, why on earth would you leave that to come to this mess? Why on earth would you put yourself through that? Because God loves us. And it's his invitation, inviting us into a relationship with him where we can experience the love and the joy and the fellowship that the Godhead has. We're invited into that. And if you're not a Christian here today, I don't know whether you believe in God or not, but hopefully, you know, through our worship and through these verses, you're understanding that God is not distant. God is not far off. God is not mean or strict or, you know, watching, just waiting for you to make that mistake. God is love. That is who he is. 
And if you're a Christian here today, I hope you're not thinking, well, this is a good talk for all the non-Christians, because it's for you. This is for all of us, whether we're close to God or far off. We all need to know and reflect on the love of God. Jude 21, we don't often quote from Jude. I love the book of Jude. I love this verse, the Jude 21. It says, keep yourselves in the love of God. And I just love this phrase, keep yourselves in the love of God. God loves us. We don't earn his love. We receive his love. But we're not passive receivers. We need to keep ourselves in the love of God. And that's active. And that takes action on our part. We're not earning it. We're not deserving it. But there is action. We keep ourselves in the conscious love of God. It's real. But we need to know it, not just know it, but to experience it and enjoy it. And that's our responsibility. It's our responsibility to acknowledge it, to explore it, to to dive into the depths of God's love, to, to contemplate it, to allow it to change us. You know, we were singing before, isn't it? Jesus changes everything. God's love changes us. And uh, Terry Virgo, in his book, God's Lavish Grace, says... As wave after wave rolls upon the beach, so grace is always flowing to you. Your responsibility is simply keep yourselves in God's love. Don't wander from it. Don't take it for granted. Don't walk in the shadows when you could be in the sunshine. I love that picture. Don't walk in the shadows when you could be in the the sunshine. Don't wonder from it. I know that's what I do. I forget. I have got the most forgetful mind going. I forget who God is. I forget the truth of what God has said. And I need to actively keep myself in the love of God. And uh, how are you doing at keeping yourselves in the love of God? That's my question for you. And uh, I'm going to invite the band to come back up. And part of keeping ourselves in the love of God is reminding ourselves of the truths of the Bible. And sometimes we can condemn ourselves. Sometimes we can think, but God can't love me. And that's just not true because Romans 8, verses 38 to 39, remind us the truth. And Paul says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons... Neither, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God loves us with an everlasting love. If Jesus went through everything he experienced while we were still sinners in order to reconcile us to God when we didn't deserve anything, then why would he give up on us now just because we've made some mistake, just because we've got things wrong, just because life isn't going quite how we thought it would? The truth is God doesn't. God doesn't give up on us. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And these are truths, and these are truths that we need to remind ourselves of, but truths that we need to enjoy, truths we need to celebrate, 
the extravagant love of God. And we had this amazing time of worshipping and felt like God was speaking to us and encouraging us before the worship. And as we talk about God's love, then our only response is to, to, to worship God for his love and to thank him and, and to, to focus again on that. And that is what we're going to do. So I'm just going to invite you to stand. Father God, we thank you for your love and for the demonstration of your love through your son. Thank you, God, that your love is so much bigger than we can comprehend or get our, our heads around. It goes way beyond anything else that we've experienced. But Lord, we just want to worship you. We want to praise you. We want to acknowledge your goodness and your kindness to you, to us. And we just want to, we just want to praise you. We just want to exalt you and say thank you, Lord. Amen.